0: Welcome to another edition of Focus on the Kingdom. I'm Anthony Buzzard, inviting you again to spend some time searching and investigating the Scriptures as we continue to probe Jesus' favorite topic, the Gospel about the Kingdom of God. In our last program, I mentioned that Paul gives us seven unities, seven oneness statements designed to preserve the Christian Church as a unified whole. You remember that in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 10, Paul said, I beseech you, brethren, above all things, that you all say the same thing, that you be perfectly joined together in one mind and one judgment. That one mind, of course, must be the mind of Christ. Indeed, the Christians are supposed to have the Spirit of Christ, and the Spirit of Christ means the mind of Christ, the mind of Christ projected, extended from his position at the right hand of the Father now, extended to the church permeating the church uniting it making it one body in agreement with the teachings of jesus in ephesians 4 and verse 3 paul as the accredited agent of jesus christ as his special messenger that's what it means to be an apostle paul urged the church to be united in one spirit he said that we are to be diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace there is one body And one Spirit, Paul went on to say, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Now the urgent question arises, have we in fact maintained that unity that Paul recommended that he insisted on if the church is to bear witness to the truth of the teachings of Jesus. Paul began by saying that the church is to be one body. It's hard for me to understand, in view of the present denominational systems, how anyone could imagine that we are indeed one body. It seems then that we must return to the blueprint, the biblical blueprint, and begin to get our teachings directly out of Scripture, rather than relying on our church traditions, much of which, incidentally, has not been critically examined by churchgoers. Many churchgoers are prepared to take on faith what they learn in church without the Berean spirit, recommended in Acts 17, verse 11, where we read that the Bereans there searched the Scriptures daily to see if what they were hearing was true. We were examining last time the last of Paul's seven great unities, that there is one God and Father over all, Did you notice that the one God of the Bible is defined as the Father, as a single individual? Now, that's exactly the view taken by Jesus himself. In John 17, 3, Jesus referred to the Father as the only true God. The one God of the Bible, according to Jesus, was his Father. What he claimed to be was the Son of God, and he claimed always to be in a subordinate position to his Father, Indeed, in Luke 1, verse 35, we find that it was because of the creative miracle that God effected in the womb of Mary that Jesus is entitled to be called the Son of God. He's the Son of God, by direct creation under the power of the Spirit of God working in his mother, Mary. Now, Paul, of course, agreed with his master, Jesus, and he also spoke of the one God as being the Father. That was exactly in line with the Jewish tradition which Paul had inherited from his forefathers and which he never questioned and certainly never altered. After all, Jesus himself had quoted the central creed of the Jewish faith. Let me show you that in Mark chapter 12, verses 28 and following. I offer you this passage of Scripture as one of the most illuminating if you want to find out what Jesus believed about God and who the God of the Bible is. In verse 28 of Mark 12, we read that one of the scribes, that's to say, one of the theological teachers of the day, a professional Bible student, came and heard them arguing, and recognizing that Jesus had answered them well, he asked him, What commandment is the foremost of all? In other words, what is the central and most basic of all religious ideas? What is the central doctrine of the faith? Jesus answered, the foremost commandment is this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. You'll notice there that God is defined as a single person, a single Lord, not more than one Lord, but one Lord. And Jesus there quotes exactly from the famous passage in Deuteronomy 6, verse 4, where God had given a revelation of his oneness to the people of Israel. And Jesus then went on to say in Mark 12, verse 30, that we're to love that one Lord God with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength, and we're to love our neighbor as ourself. Jesus said there's no other commandment greater than these. And then notice what the theologian replied to Jesus, Right, teacher, you have truly stated that God is one and there is no one else beside him. And to love him with all your heart, and with all your understanding, and with all your strength, and to love one's neighbor as himself, is much more than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw, verse 34 reads, when Jesus saw that the scribe had answered intelligently, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that no one would venture to ask Jesus, Any more questions? There was something final and ultimate, something basic, something like a bedrock foundation in Jesus' answer and his discussion here with the scribe. I want you to notice how Jesus defined the one God of Israel. He defined him as one Lord. Now, in the passage of Scripture which immediately follows this discussion of the oneness of God, of the unity of God, One of the great unities that Paul mentioned in Ephesians chapter 4, Jesus asked his audience a question to see if they had properly understood his relationship to the one God. Who exactly is Jesus according to Jesus? Well, let's see as we examine Jesus' question here in Mark 12, verse 35. Jesus answering began to say, as he taught in the temple, how is it that the scribes, the professional theologians, say that the Messiah is the son of David. But that was a question which could be fairly easily answered by those who were instructed in the Hebrew Bible. The prophets of Israel had said that David would have a distinguished descendant one day, the Messiah, and that Messiah would rule the world from Jerusalem in the kingdom of God to be established on the earth. Everybody knew that, who knew the prophecies well, that David's son was to be the Messiah. Jesus then quoted an important verse from the Old Testament. In fact, this is the most frequently quoted verse from the entirety of the Old Testament. When New Testament writers quote the Old Testament, they use this verse more than any other verse. It must be of supreme significance to us as Christians. In verse 36 of Mark 12, Jesus said, David himself said in the Holy Spirit, under divine inspiration, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies beneath your feet. Now, it's important to notice that there's a conversation there in that psalm between two lords. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies beneath your feet. Now, we'll remember, of course, that Jesus had just finished defining the one God of Israel as one Lord. Mark chapter 12, verse 29. But now in this 36th verse of the same chapter, there are two lords. The verse reads that the Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies beneath your feet. Remember that the one God of Israel is one Lord. But here there are two lords. It must follow logically, of course, that this second Lord is not the one God of Israel. The one God of Israel has already been defined as a single Lord. Here there are two lords. The one God cannot possibly be two lords. From this we see that in the Jewish mind and in the mind of Jesus, the second Lord is not God. He is, however, the Lord Messiah. That famous Psalm 110 and verse 1 defines for us the two principal players in the messianic drama. There's the one Lord God of Israel who here in Psalm 110, verse 1, prophetically speaks to Israel. The Lord Messiah. The Lord Messiah, who was David's son and descendant, was to sit at the right hand of the one Lord God until, in the kingdom of God of the future, the enemies of Messiah will be placed beneath his feet. Do you see then that there is one Lord God and one Lord Messiah? Only one of those two individuals is the Lord God, the other is the Lord Messiah. Two Lords, and yet one God, the Father. Now that was one of the great unities mentioned by Paul in Ephesians 4. He speaks there of one faith, one hope, one Lord, and one God and Father of us all. Paul, you see, everywhere distinguishes between the Lord God, the one Lord God, who is the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, and Jesus, who is the Lord Messiah. Now, interestingly, when the Lord Messiah is introduced for the first time in Luke chapter 2, verse 11, the angels tell the shepherds that today in the city of David there has been born for you a Saviour who is the Lord Messiah, the Lord Christ, not the Lord God, but the Lord Christ. Luke chapter 2, and verse 11. Let me call your attention now to a most interesting passage in the sermon given by Peter, After the pouring of the Spirit upon the church at Pentecost, in Acts 2.34, Peter uses this very psalm to define the career of Jesus, who is now moved to the right hand of the Father. Peter immediately quotes Psalm 110 and verse 1, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Once again, this favorite psalm, Psalm 110, verse 1, is used by Peter to explain the amazing event of the ascension of Jesus to the right hand of the Father, where he waits until he establishes the kingdom at his second coming. In verse 36 of Acts 2, Peter says, In view of this psalm, let all of the house of Israel know for certain that God has made Jesus both Lord and Messiah this Jesus whom you crucified. You see there that God, the one God, the Father of Jesus Christ, has appointed Jesus to be Lord. Jesus is not Lord because he's existed forever. Only one person in the universe can claim that qualification. Only God the Father has existed forever. Jesus is here Lord because he's appointed Lord by that one God and he's appointed to the position of Lord and Christ at the right hand of the Father. Now, I hope you'll notice there's a great simplicity in what we're proposing. Jesus, as a Jew, tells us who God is. Jesus quoted the great central creed of Israel when he confirmed and reaffirmed the great Shema, or hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one Lord. Jesus did not claim to be the one Lord God of Israel. He claimed to be the Lord Messiah, the Son of God, that Son who was produced in the womb of Mary by divine miracle, according to Luke 1, verse 35. Christians will find it most illuminating to stay with biblical terminology. Jesus claims to be the Son of God. His Father is the one and only true God of Israel. Jesus addressed the Father as the only true God, John 17:3 and the one who alone is God. We have an article entitled, Who in the Bible is the one true God? Also a booklet entitled, Who is Jesus? We invite you to request these for your personal Bible study at home. Meanwhile, join us again for our continued discussion of the great issues of the Bible, especially Jesus' favorite topic, the gospel about the kingdom of God.